five. I'm going to read just a few verses, starting in verse number 23. you're going to say, what in the world? I'm usually reading, but I want to read this just to lay a foundation for us. And then we're going to go backwards and kind of explain some of this to, uh, together. So we're going to pick this right up in the middle. And uh, I'm praying that nobody sends me Christmas lists or anything while I'm preaching this Sunday like they did last week. So uh, we're going to try to stay focused, all right? So, so here we go, Exodus 25, beginning in verse number 23. And uh, this is the Lord talking to the man of God, Moses. He said, Thou shalt also make a table of smitten wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. Modern day language, that is this. It'll be three foot wide. It'll be a foot and a half wide. and It'll be two and a quarter foot tall. So... Uh, just so, so you kind of know what we're talking about there. And he says, also around the top of it, I want you to put a crown of gold around it, and thou shalt make it a border of a hand around it, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. Tell somebody, he's going to make it pretty. And, and thou shalt make for it four rings of gold and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staff to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staffs of smitten wood and overlay them with gold, and the table may be bore with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and the spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover with all of pure gold shalt thou make them. Then verse number 30, and thou shalt set up on the table shewbread, or some people say showbread, before me always. Let us pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege to stand before your people this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just do what needs to be done in this room the remainder of our time together. And we yield ourselves to you and we give you all the glory and all the praise. Amen and amen. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord this morning. And thou shalt set up on the table shoe bread before me always. Now, If you read Exodus 26 and verse 35, it says, And thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle towards the south, and thou shalt put the table on the north side. Now, let me explain what we're reading together this morning. We will find that Moses, the man of God, goes into the mountain, spends time alone with the Lord. You know, we have heard the Ten Commandments. He was given those, and the finger of God wrote them on the stone and those things. But that's not all he got while he was there. The Lord also spoke to him and said, I want you to build a tabernacle that will go with you as you're moving and as you're traveling. This tabernacle was given to him in great detail And it is a place of dwelling. It's a place where the Lord was going to dwell with the children of Israel on their journey. And as you begin to look at this, you find that the layout of this tabernacle is basically just a rectangle. And when you would walk in at the gate, you would find that there's an outer court, and then there's a holy place, and then there's the holy of holies. The outer court is where the, the priest would come in, and the altar of burnt offering is the very first thing that you would see when you would walk in through the gate. This is a place where the animal sacrifice would take place. It was the shedding of blood. All of this is symbolic of Jesus Christ and what he would come and do for humanity. 
But we find that you would come, the priest would bring the sacrifice upon the brazen altar or the burnt offering, if you will. And then directly behind it is the golden laver. And it is a place where there was water and the priest, after the sacrifice, would walk up to the brazen uh, pail of water and he would wash his hands and the blood would be removed. But at the same time, there was a reflection that would come off of the bottom of that and he would see himself for who he was. Directly behind that, there is a veil, and that veil separates the outer court from the holy place. And the, the doorway of that veil is on the left side, if you was looking forward, and you would walk in through that opening or that doorway, and you would find that directly in front of you would be the menorah, the candlestick. And then you would find that kind of in the center of the room was the altar of incense, but on the right side is a table, and it was called the table of shoe bread. It's the table that we just read about and it was specifically given in dimensions and diameter for a specific purpose for the man of God to build and to put there. And then at the behind uh, the altar of incense was another veil. And that veil separates the holy place from the holy of holies. Now, the holy place where the menorah and the altar of incense and the table of shewbread is, the priest Aaron and his sons, the Levites, they would go in. And they would be there every day of the morning of the evening. They would make sure that the menorah had oil in it. They also would go in and they would offer the, on the altar of incense, incense unto the Lord. And we would find that every Sabbath day on the table of shewbread, uh, we know that the Levites, and in Leviticus chapter 25, you can read of it. For the sake of time, I'm not going to give all the scriptures that I have, uh, but they would go in every Sabbath day. There would be a new 12 loaves of shoe bread that was made. Now, it wasn't common bread. The people did not make bread on the Sabbath day. If you was going to eat bread, you always made it on the sixth day, and you held it over for the Sabbath day. The only thing that was really made on the Sabbath day was the Levites, and they did have some help from some others. Uh, they was given permission to do that in First Chronicles. Another group of people, the Canaanites, uh, would help them if they needed to. And we would find that they would uh, come in, and every Sabbath day they would make 12 loaves of bread. Twelve loaves of bread is symbolic of each loaf was for a tribe of Israel. There's 12 tribes in Israel, but you would take them and you'd put them in stacks of six. Uh, they would be here and then one would be here, and they would also be uh, uh, sprinkled with frankincense, and they would stay there for a week. On the Sabbath day, they was placed fresh out. They was hot when they was placed there, and they would sit there, and there was the only bread that was made, and then this stayed in the holy place until the next Sabbath day. Nobody was allowed to touch this bread. Average men and women was not allowed to be in the holy place. Only the priest could go into the holy place. They was there every day, multiple times a day. They was in the room with the table of showbread, with the bread laying on it. So, yeah, and I'll tell you why that's important in a moment. But once a year, the high priest would go not just to the holy place, that they would go beyond the holy place, behind the veil, into the holy of holies. And that was for the day of atonement. And they would go in with blood, and they would sprinkle the things on the mercy seat, because in the holy of holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And uh, therefore, they would go in and offer an atonement 
for the sins of the people. Now, those sins, uh, they could not remove those sins, and it would cover them for a year, and they would go back in on the next day or the next year and do the same thing over and over again. But, so you say, why is this important? We find that this morning for a few moments, I want to talk to you about the untouched bread. Because when you come and you begin to look at what's going on, you would find that there's another word for this shoe bread. And as I begin to walk through it, this bread is also known historically as the bread of his presence. Now, I want you to remember that this morning. And what would happen, they would come in, they would make this bread on the Sabbath day. They would bring it, put it on the table of shoe bread, and it would lay there all week. But then the following Sabbath day, there would be 12 new loaves made, and then the high priest, Aaron and his sons, would take this off, and then they would eat it. They would have to consume it on the Sabbath day. So the only people that was able to eat this bread was Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is the only ones. And that's why you may remember in your Bible a story when David was, followed, was, was traveling, and he calls out, and he says, hey, I, I need some bread. And he says, I, I don't know. He said, the high priest said, I don't have any common bread because it was a Sabbath day. What he was saying is this, the only bread that I have is the bread off the table of shoe bread. And he said, nobody can eat it but us. So he said, I don't have any bread. But here's the deal, is this was not just normal bread. It is made specifically, if you read in the book of Leviticus, you'll find that it's made of fine flour. You'll find that it's got specific ingredients in it. And we find that this bread is not just normal bread, but it's bread that is called the bread of his presence. But here's the thing, nobody could be in his presence unless it was the priest. Now, you say, what's all of this really mean? When you and I begin to understand this historical application and realize that everything in the holy place, whether it be the menorah, whether it be the altar of incense, whether it be the table of shewbread, every bit of it is symbolic of Christ. So if we fast forward now and we come a little later in history, you will find that this bread is no longer needed in a temple setting or a tabernacle setting because when you get to the book of John, chapter 6, verse number 35, there's a very powerful scripture. And I want to give it to you this morning. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But then you go on down a little bit further to verse number 47 through verse number 54, 51. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
Now, I, I want this to sink in this morning because can I tell you today what we're at, where we're at right now is uh, that after, I understand in this time in history that the law prohibited anyone from partaking of this bread. But you and I have to realize that when you start reading in Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 9, that there is a new and better covenant that was given to you and I. Now, I'm thankful for the presence of God that we read of throughout Old Testament Scripture. I'm thankful for the visitations that men and women had encountered in that season. But when Jesus came, please hear me, when little Mary was all alone, and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord come and said, Mary, you are highly favored, and said, God has chosen you, and begins to speak to her. And he says, you're going to bring forth a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. He will take away the sins of the world. He is going to be a savior unto you. And she says, how shall this be? She said, the, he said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. It's going to overshadow you. And she said, let it be. What she did not realize in that moment was, is that that which was coming on her and that would come and be birthed through her was not just a child, but it was the bread of life. Now, why is this important? We know this, and let me, I'm, I'm trying to fast forward to get where I really need to be this morning, is that when you begin to look at this, you begin to understand that when Jesus comes and he's brought in the form of humanity and he's taken into the temple, Simeon has an encounter with him when he's eight days old, and then we find him again in the temple when he's 12 years old, and men are marveling at his, uh, his knowledge, and then we don't see much until the age of 30. But we find that when he comes, the very one of the very first things that he says is this, I am the bread of life. Now, why is this important? What he's simply saying is, uh, or you could say it this way, I am the presence of God himself because that's who I am. So what he was simply saying is this, the bread of life has come and that which was not able to be amongst you is now amongst you. Can I tell you, I don't know about you, but have you ever walked into a room when somebody was baking and all of a sudden, listen, I, I knew this at, at Thanksgiving and Christmas time around our house. Mama, she didn't just bake one pie or she didn't bake just one carrot cake or she didn't just make one pumpkin pie, but I mean, every counter was full and she knew everybody was coming and you walk in and you say, man, it smells so good. And she said, but you can't have any. Man, that ain't right. But the thing is, is, you know, you get the aroma, you get the smell, and, and it's like, oh, I, I desire that. I want that because I've tasted of it before, and I know that it's good, and I want it. But then it was like, you can't have that now. That's for later. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Listen, and when you get into that, you say, man, but, but it's so good. Can I tell you, there was an aroma in the tabernacle that the priests would experience and, and the people around would, would hear it. They, 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 would, they, they could sense it, uh, but they could not partake of it uh, because it was not lawful for them to. But when Jesus comes along uh, and he simply says this, I am a tabernacle that was not made with the hands of men. Uh, but when you begin to understand this, you come to realize uh, that we no longer need a tabernacle or a temple uh, with a holy place uh, 
that has a menorah in it, that has a table of shoe bread in it, that has an altar of incense in it, because he is all of those things. And he says, I am the bread of life. And therefore, uh, that which men could not get to that was beyond the veil, uh, can I tell you something happened uh, when Jesus, after he was taken to Pilate's hall, uh, after he was beaten beyond recognition, uh, after there was a crown of thorns plaited upon his head, uh, after they gambled for his garments, uh, after they pierced his side, uh, after he emptied himself, uh, and they said, if it's really you, call for somebody to get you down. Uh, He's simply groaning in the spirit. He says, it is finished. But about that moment, something happened. It says that the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. That which 12 yoke of oxen could not pull apart supernaturally from the top was rent from the top to the bottom. And what men had no access to before now could boldly come to the throne of grace. And can I tell you, when we come into the holy place, there is still bread on on the table, uh, but it's not bread that's made by the hands of men, uh, but it is the everlasting bread of life, uh, and therefore this morning, you and I need to understand uh, that the bread is still on the table, uh, but we are in a culture today uh, where we believe that, well, God is good, uh, but we need this and we need that to go with it, much like many did uh, in the days of Paul, uh, but can I tell you this morning, I come with a simple message today, really, uh, and and that is to tell you uh, that you and I have an opportunity uh, to experience something uh, that others have never had the experience uh, or the opportunity to experience. And it is this, uh, that there is bread uh, that is available uh, that you and I can have uh, and that which others before uh, Christ came could not enter into. Uh, and notice this isn't just bread, but it was the bread of his presence. Uh, every day, multiple times a day, Aaron and his sons, they would walk into the holy place. Uh, they was filling the menorah. They was offering incense. Uh, and the whole time they was doing what they were supposed to be doing, his presence was in the room. His, everywhere they go, his presence, his presence, his presence. But then the next Sabbath day, the aroma of fresh bread. They lay it in order. Sprinkle on it. It sets there and then they take it. And what they had been in the presence of for seven days, they now have the opportunity to partake of. Now, you say, what's this really mean? Is can I tell you that while it was only a select few then, it was in his presence, in his presence, partaking of his presence. They could only tell others about what they experienced. Nobody else could experience. But when Jesus came and the veil was rent, this bread became readily available for everyone. Which means this morning that this just isn't any bread, but it is still the bread of his presence. And can I tell you today, in his presence, there is still fullness of joy. But also in his presence, please understand, there does not have to be hunger. There doesn't have to be lack. 
There doesn't have to be hunger pains at all in our life because we know this in Psalms 34 and 10, it says the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Can I tell you? Hungry people eat. You should have seen them devour donuts this morning. There's some hungry people. Hungry people eat. So why is it that we see so many people with so much lack that say, I love Jesus? Because if his word is established and it is forever settled, then you have to go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6. It says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So why is it that there's lack? Listen, this may not be a shouting message for everybody, but it's a real message for all of us in this room. Can I tell you, if there's lack in our lives, it's because we're eating the wrong thing. Because the word of the Lord is very clear to us. It tells us that, you know, if we partake of him, there is life and there's everlasting life. But can I tell you, it's not something that he's going to force feed anybody, but he simply says, I am the bread of life. And it says, if you, if you will come. Notice Proverbs 10 and 3 says, the Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to hunger or to famish but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. Can I tell you, this morning, you and I need to understand that there is a fulfillment that can be had in our lives, but we have to be understand the importance of eating the bread. When we take communion, what are we doing? We are looking backwards. We're not going backwards, we're looking backwards. And what are we looking at? We're looking at his flesh, and we're looking at his blood. His flesh that he gave is the bread. And he says, I am giving you the bread. Now, if you choose to eat the bread, you can have life. So the question is, why is it that we still have so much untouched bread? What is our hunger? What is our passion? What is our desire? Because, see, can I tell you this morning, I worked really hard baking this. Yeah. 10.30 at night in Walmart. Thank you, Jesus. And I was like, man, think about a veil renting. Before, nobody else was allowed to touch it. But now, that which was not even seen by the common folk. They just heard about it, never experienced it. But then Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. And it's taken from beyond the veil and now it's put out readily where whoever wants it can have it. I could eat all of that, but man, I'd pay for it. But there's an aroma about it. There's a smell about it. And it's not just any bread but it was specific bread. And it's a bread, notice it's not just any bread. This is bread of death. It's got sugar and everything in it, but he is the bread of life. Are you with me this morning? Because here's the deal. He says, and he, he puts no strings attached. There's, there's nothing to it. He just simply puts it out here. 
And he simply says, you know what? If I am the I am. What's that really mean? It means this. I am your salvation. I am. I am your healer. I am your deliverer. We, we'll, we can get rid of this because we're no longer in this time frame, but now we just have bread, and it's bread of life. Now, but you don't know the report I've got. I know this. He's bigger than the report. You don't know what I'm facing. I, I understand that life throws us all kinds of stuff, but at the same time, I understand this, that it doesn't change his identity. It doesn't change who he is. And therefore, can I tell you today, if there is a need in your life, you don't need somebody to blow on you. You don't need somebody to spit on you. You don't need somebody to, to do something for you. Uh, you just need to understand uh, that he is what his word says he is. Uh, and he says that I am the bread of life uh, and he that will eat of me, uh, they will live. So I come this morning to tell you very clearly and, to very, and tell you very simply uh, that we need to understand uh, that when he came, notice with me in Hebrews chapter 4, we find this very quickly. I think it's important for me to read it and then I'm going to be done. It says then in verse number 1 through verse number 7, he says, and I'll paraphrase a lot of it, it says, for there was a tabernacle made the first where... And wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary or the holy place. And he said, but after the second veil, then the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of holies, which I explained is where Aaron would go in once a year on the day of atonement. But it says, but then into the second one that he would go in once a year, not without blood. But then through verses eight through 14, down around verse 11, you find but when Christ become a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. How many knows that when you've been redeemed, you've been purchased, you've been bought back? Can I tell you? For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verses 15 through 22. And for this cause, notice this, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a tester, for a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the tester liveth, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he had took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he had sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoyed on, unto you." Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Blood was everywhere. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. 
But verse 23 and 24, it says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things into the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Please hear me. It wasn't just bread, but it's better bread. He said, listen, there's some things that was there and it was done along the lines of what it is in the heavenly. But can I tell you, he said when he came, it was a more better sacrifice. It was a better covenant. And therefore, it wasn't just bread that could be partaken of as symbolic. Uh, but when Jesus came, he, be, he is the real bread uh, and there is real life in the bread. Now, the bread that Aaron and his sons uh, ate on the Sabbath day, there wasn't life in it. Uh, it was just natural. Uh, but when Jesus comes and if any man will partake of that bread, uh, then it is life uh, and it's life everlasting. Uh, and it's not just life when we're talking Walking in the spirit realm, uh, but it's life that comes to the to the to the mind, to the soul, and to the body. Meaning this: uh, if I'm sick, I can take of the bread. Uh, that's why communion is so important. Uh, if there's something going on in your body, if there's something going on in your life, uh, if there's something going on mentally, emotionally, uh, every morning or every night before you go to bed, sit down, uh, get you a wafer, get you some juice, uh, and sit at the Lord's table and say, "I'm going to take of your bread uh, because I know there's life in it." Uh, It begins to change everything. Uh, But can I tell you, beyond that, uh, in the spirit realm, if a man or a woman will choose uh, to take of the bread of life, uh, there is no weapon formed against them that can prosper. Uh, So I come to tell you this morning, uh, it doesn't matter what season you find yourself in today, uh, that there is still more than enough. Uh, There is still untouched bread this morning. Uh, And he says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, they shall shall be saved. Uh, He's not just talking about salvation, uh, but whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, they can be healed, uh, they can be delivered, uh, they can be set free, uh, they can, listen, the world might identify you as as an addict, uh, but he'll identify you as a son. Uh, The world might say you're an alcoholic, uh, but he'll say that you are born of God. Uh, Listen, what I'm telling you today is this, uh, when you take of his bread, uh, then everything changes. Uh, I'm no longer who I used to be, uh, but now I'm everything that he says I can be. Uh, So this morning, I I just have a simple word for you today. Uh, Don't waste the bread. If you need something this morning, you just have to decide, will I partake of his bread? Notice with me. If they want to come to the music this morning, I'm done. Because I think we're getting ready to go into the most powerful part of this service right now. In Leviticus 24, 5 through 7, it says, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be in one cake, and thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. But then verse 8 and 9, it says, Every Sabbath day he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. Meaning this, Aaron, I want you to always be in my presence. I don't want you doing anything in here outside of my presence. 
Every time you look over at that table, I want you to know that I'm with you. My presence is here. That's why David, going through a very dark time in his life at the end of Psalms 23, could say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What he was simply saying is, I've tasted and seen, and I know that the Lord is good, and I know this, that because I've taken of him, I know there's life. This morning, a lot of people can say a lot of things and do a lot of things. And they could say, well, that's just not for me. Well, I'm just not this or I'm just not that. But I want you to understand that when that veil was rent, it wasn't just the veil of the Holy of Holies that rent, but every veil in that temple, everything that was symbolic of what we're talking about today, everything was rent, everything was open. And for the first time, anyone could go into the Holy of Holies. But in order to get to the Holy of Holies, you had to first walk through the holy place meaning this, you had to wander in through his presence. You could not go through the holy place without encountering his presence because in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was always bread on the table. So the moment that you stepped beyond the outer court and the inner court, the moment that you stepped into the holy place, you encountered his presence. We walk in and out of this house, houses of worship just like it, week in and week out, and we feel his presence. We encounter his presence. But have we ever ate the bread? You see, it's one thing to be in the vicinity, but it's another thing. It's another thing to partake of it. If we're not careful, we'll let the enemy tell us it's for everybody but for us. And the bread's readily available. And we walk in and we walk out and we never pick it up. Take it for ourselves. You see, today, whether you need salvation, whether you need encouragement, whether you need healing, whether you need a miracle in some way, shape, or form, you can still partake of the bread. And there's still life there. It's not like anything else. The world will take you, chew you up, use you, and spit you out, and leave you for dead. John 10, 10 is very clear about that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The latter part of that simply is this, but I have come that you may have life, have it more abundantly. How can he bring life? It's because he didn't just come. He came as bread. And this morning, I just think I will. It smells good. You can have a piece if you want. But I'm just going to eat some bread because he's been too good to me. See, I've tasted and I've seen that he's good, and I've tasted this and seen that it's good too. That's why I buy it. 
They didn't let me down. But it's life. Now the enemy will tell you, oh, it's too big. It's too bad. Shouldn't do it. Oh, it, it. But when somebody starts eating the bread, life starts coming. Strength starts coming. Peace starts coming. Miracle working power starts coming. I thought that was you. Sherry, so good to see you this morning. That's a miracle right there. Shortly before, just a few weeks ago, she's been through a lot in the last few weeks. But God's been faithful. Shortly before she went to the hospital, I believe I'm telling it correctly, she surrendered her life to the Lord with Lisa, her sister, sitting there. And because she partook of bread, she's living today. So I wonder today, does anybody need life? This is probably rude. I don't mean to be, but I'm hungry. <laughs> but can I tell you, not only is it life, but it's good. So no matter what you're facing, don't settle just for a whiff of it. Don't just settle to be in the presence of it. But why don't you just experience it for yourself? For he truly is the bread of life. As you stand all over the house this morning with us, please. Think about it from our perspective today. The nation of Israel wandering in a wilderness, the tabernacle there, the people witness and see the Levites preparing. And they knew the ritual, they knew the routine of what happened every Sabbath day. This bread made of fine flour, sprinkled with frankincense. The bread of his presence, but yet they never could be where it was. They never could taste it, they never could experience it. Wonder what was going, wonder what that tastes like. My mind just goes this way. Wonder how much better that is than the common bread that we have. You know, don't it just smell different? Don't you just smell that aroma coming out of there? Oh, the Sabbath day. Oh, it's, it's so different. But they never could experience it. But then Jesus comes and says, you know what? I'll, I'll let you eat of this bread. Don't cost you anything. It's already been bought and paid for. It's better than any raisin bran you could ever buy better than any rye bread, wheat bread white bread keto bread I don't care how much they say it's all good for you that stuff might be good for you but it's not good for your wallet because it costs man but then he comes along and he says hey I've got some bread it's got life in it 
It won't make you lose a few pounds. It'll make you live for all eternity. And it won't cost you nothing. But yet today, we walk in and out of the house of the Lord, the house of prayer. And the bread's there. And it never gets touched. And then we wonder why. We wonder why there's no peace, there's no rest, there's no joy. There is no life in any other. The Bible's very clear. Why is it I can smile and eat bread in front of you? Because he's good. I'm going to finish it before we pray. But I wonder this morning. I wonder, does anybody just need a little bread? If this simple message has touched anybody's heart today, right now, you'd say, I need some bread. First of all, if you don't know who Jesus is as your Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation. Maybe you said, I've surrendered my life, but I've strayed from him, and I'm not where I'm supposed to be with him, and I'd like to rededicate my life. That's the first group of people I want to talk to for a moment and tell you, why don't you come and get you a piece of bread today? You can even have a piece of this bread. You can even eat it while you talk to him. I don't care. But something far better than this bread is what you can take of him. Maybe you're here and you've served the Lord 50 years. But you'd say, man, I need God to do something in my life. I wonder today, would you come and just eat of that bread today? Maybe you need a miracle in your body. Maybe you need a touch mentally, spiritually, emotionally. You don't have to tell me what it is today. But I'll join my faith with you and let you know today. And I sincerely believe the word of the Lord, where two or three are gathered together, touching any one thing, they can ask what they will, and it shall be done. Can I tell you there's healing in this room because he's in this room. It's not enough just to be in his presence, but it's about choosing to partake of the bread. Little Jackson was eating. He'd done ate two donuts, and his mouth was still full. I said, you want another one? He's a like, <laughs> He tasted and seen it. it was good. He ate two or three more after that. There's life in it. Amen. So right now, you say, I need life. I need God to do something. Would you come right now and join me in the front of this building? Right now. Anybody. I'm going to pray with you right now. Why wait? He's bread. He's not here full of judgment, but he's fearful of health. Life, strength. Stand, kneel. We're going to pray with you today. God's going to give you strength. He's going to give you joy. He's going to give you peace today. I need some men of God and women of God. Some of you, spirit-filled men and women that's in this room, I need you to come gather behind these and help me pray right now. I just want us to enter into a time of worship. Thanks for watching. I hope this message blessed you. And if you could, please check the description below for all of our links to our social medias. Um, and as always, check our page. You'll see all of our previous messages there. 
Uh, I hope this message again blessed you and uh, reached you where you're at. And thanks for watching. See you soon.